Well, they've cut my time down to an hour and a half sermon, so we'll see what I can get across to you today with the constraints. God is good, amen? I'm beginning a new series today called Building Blocks, and I'm looking at the life of Joseph. Today, we'll just... I'll drop a few nuggets in your lap and we'll come back next week and, and dig a little bit deeper, do some excavating on the life of Joseph. I think there's a lot that we can learn from Joseph, living a life of integrity, an integrate, that's what integrity means, an integrated life, meaning my life is integrated in what my words say and what God's word says, building my character, decision making. There are so many things about Joseph that we're going to talk about. I'm actually excited about next week because my kids are going to be here. All my kids in one house. Micah and Rachel from Australia will be here. Michaela and Lawrence from Tennessee will be here. Uh, Addison from Austin will be here. And Jordan and Tristan from my home will be here. You just sleep better when all your kids are under the same moon. And so I'm really excited about that. Please mark your calendar for this Wednesday. This Wednesday is our first ever Awaken. It's a new schedule. All right, all right. So you got me excited. That's contagious. All right, good. Wow, you just got me pumped up about this. Now, uh, we're starting a new schedule. Instead of every Wednesday night prayer, we're doing the first Wednesday of the month. We're going to be in this room with live worship, not like what you experience today. It's more like one musician and a singer or two. It's very casual. They're going to be singing while we pray. We also have some public reading of scripture. I've asked a few people to come and, and read a portion of scripture throughout, scattered throughout the time. We'll have community communion together. That's going to be fun. So it's just one hour, 6 p.m. to 7 uh, if you have to rush right after work and you're starving, we'll serve you extra communion. But at 7.30, so a 30-minute break there, at 7.30, we have family night, the first mon- first Wednesday of every month. After Awaken is family night where we're going to have tables set up and bring board games and we get to play and hang out. And you can bring your dinner there. You can order pizza for us all. Whatever it is that you want to do. But I'm just excited to get the chance to connect with you. That's the first Wednesday of every month, and it begins this week. Awaken July. Why the first Wednesday? It's almost like the tithe. When you give God your first, he blesses the rest. So we're going to give the first Wednesday to the Lord and just believe that he's blessing the rest of the month for us. It's going to be good. The third Wednesday of the month, you're welcome to come as well. We call that team night, and that's 6 to 7 as well. So any volunteers, even if you don't volunteer, but you want to learn leadership, you want to learn communication, God's word says an awful lot about organizational structure. And we're going to talk about that and grow each other on the third Wednesday of the night, month, sorry. All right, well, today's a good day to renew my mind, to align with truth, to walk in faith. Today, we're going to awaken and develop purpose. Are you ready? All right. Please stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 37. I 
our text today. The humble beginnings of Joseph. Is that John? I knew it. I knew it. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel, also known as Jacob, he was given the name Jacob by his parents. God changed his name to Israel. Now Israel slash Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully, peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please, hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream. And told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Father, we come before you today. God, I ask that you would let our hearts be open to receive your word today, that there would be seeds just planted in fertile soil, and any birds of the air that would be flying around this place trying to pluck up the seeds before they're planted, we, we send them away in Jesus' name. God, we just give you free dominion, free reign in this place to speak to our hearts, to our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The ideal family, the ideal family, does that even exist? Does the ideal family even exist? When I think about the ideal family, I have this picture in my mind. You may have a picture in your mind about what the ideal family, the perfect, dare I say, perfect family looks like. Now, I'll give you an example of Maybe a possible view that's in the room of what the perfect family looks like. Uh, you grow up in a home that has never known divorce, and you marry somebody who grew up in a home that has never known divorce. You both get married after you graduate college with a 4.0 and a full ride scholarship. You get married young, but not too young, whatever that means. The husband and wife start great careers. And just after the right amount of time, 
whatever that is, you begin to have a family. You have or she has no morning sickness, only craves food that is always readily available in the fridge. And the baby comes out just fine and within a week is sleeping through the night. No colic, no ear infections, no spit up. And he is happy to give mommy time for long hot showers and meal prep while daddy is at work. Perfect. The wife leaves her career, puts her career on hold because she wants to stay home and care for the kid, kids. And it's no problem because the husband is making enough money to cover everything she wants. Then you have uh, anywhere from three to five kids and they're spaced out just right, whatever that is. Uh, the kids all grow up healthy. They go to great schools. They have a loving mom and dad. And the kids love one another very well. There's never any fights, never any arguments. They always own who did what. They always pick up after themselves. You have no school drama, no boyfriend-girlfriend drama. You have no medical drama, no legal drama, no drama drama. You have no drama. The kids get into great universities, and eventually they get married, and then they bring their wonderful grandkids to mom and dad, who all love each other more than ever, and they've, they've positioned to be comfortable in retirement, and grandma and grandpa give the grandkids everything that the grandma and grandpa choose to give to the grandkids. That's the idea, that's the idea of an ideal, perfect family, wouldn't you? That's pretty close, pretty close to the ideal. And that actually might be your story. I might have just described someone in this room or someone watching online. I mean, that's probably what we're all shooting for on some level is to have a healthy, happy, cohesive family unit, something like that. The problem is most of us don't fit into that mold. Most of us were raised in a home that looks nothing like what I just described. Most of us are leading a home that looks nothing like what I just described. Do you agree with me today? I mean, the ideal is good. The perfect is good, but the reality needs to put on some makeup. Do you know what I mean? The reality is not as pretty as the filtered picture of the perfect family. There are maybe a few people who fit the ideal. Now, let me clarify. The ideal isn't meaningless. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't teach our kids what an ideal family looks like. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't teach our kids what the Bible says about family, what the Bible says about marriage, what the Bible says about dating. Are you with me? We should be teaching the ideal to our family, even if we're not living up to the ideal. It's not hypocrisy to teach something that you're not living up to. It's hypocrisy to hold everyone else accountable to something you refuse to hold yourself accountable to. There's a big difference. So some of us are afraid to tell our kids not to do something because we did it when we were a kid. Don't be ridiculous. Hopefully you learned your lesson. Hopefully you learned from your mistakes. We should be upholding the ideal values that the word of God talks about to our kids, even if our home doesn't reflect it. 
So hopefully I've just taken some guilt and shame off of you today. Afraid to hold a standard because you know you're not living a standard. It's okay to walk in that tension. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay, you're going to be okay. Keep holding the tension. Keep holding the tension. Did you ever wish that you had come from a different family? Now, if your parents are here, be careful. Just think in your heart. Did you ever wish that you had come from a different family? Are there things about your family background and your growing up years, like pre-18 years, that you would change if you could? I would imagine that we would all say yes. That's kind of the goal of, of growing as family, that legacy grows. Legacy isn't passed down and doesn't remain the same. That, that's called an antique. Legacy grows. That means my parents would hope that I improve on anything that they fell short on. And I hope that my kids improve on anything that I fall short on. And my little grandson, Luca, and my little granddaughter, so I get to meet face-to-face for the first time this week, River and Rumi, they are going to be exponentially better parents than Carrie and I were. Because that's how legacy works. It continues to grow. So there is no shame in my kids saying, yeah, there are some things I would do different than mom and dad. I don't get offended. I don't, I don't hold my history and my story so tightly that I don't allow my kids to grow from it. You're going to get a sneak peek at that next week because we're going to bring my kids to platform and we're going to do a family chat in front of you and we're going to show you what we learned parenting in the church and the gospel and how that transcends into legacy. It's going to be a wonderful time next week. I hope they don't say anything too bad about me, but, <laughs> but I want them to be honest because I want our failures and our successes as a family to help you go further. But I don't hold my daddyhood so tightly that my kids can't be honest. And listen, I have dropped the ball. I have not been the best dad all the time. I have not been the best husband all the time. Each and every one of us dropped the ball. We all, on some level, wish that we could tweak something in the past. I wish this parent was more gentle, more present, more kind, more available. I I wish... This person, my parent, knew the Lord. I wish that they encouraged me in sports. Like, there are things that we would change. But you know what we don't often think about? What we're grateful for. So what I don't want this series to be about is triggering your past trauma. I don't want to maximize your trauma, but I also don't want to minimize it. The truth is everyone in this room is dealing or has dealt with trauma from childhood. Everyone. And if you say that you had no trauma during childhood, you would be an anomaly. You would be a freak of nature. And that would be wonderful if you didn't have any trauma. But if chances are more likely if you say you had no trauma in childhood, you've just been believing a lie and you have unprocessed pain and you've never actually embraced the truth and moved forward and your kids and your grandkids are dealing with your unhealed wounds that you think are just fine. But I don't want to trigger trauma, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start out this series being grateful. I'm going to give you 10 seconds of silence to think about the one thing in your childhood 
the one thing. Everyone can find one thing. No matter if you were raised by Charles Manson, you're alive. You could be grateful that you weren't his next target. What are you grateful for from your childhood? Go ahead and write that down in your notes. You could just think it, but there's so much power in thinking it and translating it to the pen and writing it down. So on your notes, I left room for you. What is one thing, one thing? watching online once you've written down your one thing in the comments please give us an emoji so we know that you have done it too you're not exempt from writing this down one thing I'm grateful one thing I'm grateful for me the one thing there are many things I'm I, I was raised in a wonderful Christian home not perfect, but wonderful, healthy, wonderful. And so there are many things to be grateful for, but probably the highest thing that I'm most grateful for is the consistency of faith in our home. My parents continuously showed up to the house of the Lord, to ministry, to serving. I knew very early on in age, I don't actually remember the time that I ever stepped foot in a church for the first time. I was just kind of born in the church. And I remember doing dumb things in the church. I remember people. I just don't remember that first time, and I'm grateful for that. There's such a consistency, a heritage of consistency in my family. That's one thing I'm really grateful for. So all of you parents that are bringing your kids to church very often and regularly, even though your parents didn't, you are changing the generations. You are changing the generations because that is the one thing that I'm most grateful for with my family. All right. I've talked about the typical or ideal family, Eric. Now let's talk about Joseph's family as a young man. Can we just run through that? Joseph, this man we're talking about. Joseph's father, Jacob, tried to trick his, his grandfather Isaac into giving all the family fortune to him instead of his twin brother Esau. All right? It all fell apart and Joseph's father's brother hunted him down. Jacob went away more than 200 miles on foot and never saw his father or mother again. Jacob is the father of Joseph, the dude we're studying. Jacob found a place with his mother's relatives, but his uncle cheated him and treated him like a slave. So Jacob, Joseph's dad, married two of his cousins. Come on, somebody. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for 2023. Jacob married two of his cousins and then added two more wives, the servant girls of his cousins. Between them all, they had 12 sons and one daughter, and there was constant competition and strife and conflict among all the family members. It was one great, big, messed up family, but it brought Joseph on the scene. You just heard all the trauma that Joseph was born into. Running from your brother that wants to kill you, marrying your cousins, one of them's hot, one of them's not, you know, marrying the servants of your cousins and all the conflict that is going on in the home. Joseph is born into that. And then 
chapter 37, verse 2, tells us that Joseph is 17 years old. This is our first introduction of Joseph in verse 2. He's 17 years old, and he is one of the most remarkable men of the Bible. Here's what James Montgomery Boyce said about him. He said, Joseph was loved and hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased. Yet at no point in the 110-year life of Joseph did he ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as he was in public. He was truly a great man. And it's true. Joseph was a great man. Joseph is what we call a type of Jesus. A type, an archetype, a model. If you read the life of Joseph, you can pin at least 100 attributes that match identically to Jesus. So Joseph in the Old Testament was giving witness to a Messiah who was coming in the future. I won't give you the 100 examples, but just a few just so you believe me, Joseph, just like Jesus, was adored by his father, and that adoration by his father caused strife and hatred by his brothers. Both were hated, despised, humiliated. Both were sold for money. Both were raised from the pit. Hallelujah. Both had a life of servanthood. Both resisted temptation. Remember, Pharaoh's wife resisted temptation and falsely accused. The list goes on and on. Joseph resembles the life of Jesus. And all that being said, let's look at the messed up family that Joseph, this wonderful man, was born into. In verse 3, it says, Now Jacob loved Joseph more than all his children. That is a recipe for disaster. To admit that you love one more than any other is a recipe for disunity, disharmony in the home. It says he loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. So Joseph was loved the most. He was one of the younger kids, by the way. Younger kids always get the best. Amber? I think the only thing that could have been better in the story is if Joseph had been the middle child, then we could have all known there was hope. (laughs) So Joseph was adored by his father, and he got a tunic of many colors, the coat of many colors. Not the same one that Dolly Parton had, different one, but it was a coat of many colors. Now this tunic, what was different about it that set him apart was not just all the colors, but the, the length of the arms. The sleeves went down to his wrist. And in this time in ancient Hebrew culture, to wear a garment down to your wrist meant it's similar to wearing a suit. So you're not prepared to work. You're not dressed for work. Now, they were agricultural farmers here. So all the guys are out in the field, and there's Joseph with his tunic, long arms, and he's like, hey, sorry, guys. I'm not dressed for hard labor today. But if you need a refill on that water, let me know and I'll get it for you. So Joseph had a tendency to be hated by his siblings because he was favored. He had a coat of many colors. His dad loved him more than anyone else. 
And the Bible says that the brothers hated him. Now, if you're a parent in the room and your kids have ever argued, you understand the tension that you feel inside when your kids aren't getting along. I mean, Carrie and I prayed before we had any kids. Our prayer was, you know, some people pray for the eye color. Some people pray that the ears aren't too big. Some people pray for whatever. They have all the fingers and the toes. We prayed that our kids would love each other. That was Carrie's prayer, our prayer, when the kids, before they were here. And that came to pass. But there were moments where they would fight and they would argue because that's what kids do. But how much turmoil is it when your kids are saying they hate one another? That's a whole other type of dysfunction. Like, that's a whole other weight to carry. When kids don't get along, there can be different levels of friction. But when they say they hate each other, that is a whole different level of dysfunction. Now, thankfully, the Hebrew doesn't have any swear words. It's one of the only languages that don't have any swear words. Pretty cool, right? Otherwise, the brothers would have been probably cussing Joseph. They probably had to learn Arabic. I met someone, talked to someone this week, who, who was raised knowing Hebrew, and that's how I found out. Hebrew doesn't have any swear words. He had to learn Arabic to learn profanity. And, uh, but his brothers, Scripture says, his brothers hated him, hated him. Joseph is in a messy family. And I guess this is my point today. That's good news for you and me. God can use messy families. That's in your notes. Write that down. God can use messy families. Look at your neighbor and say, you're so messy. Now look at your other neighbor and say, takes one to know one. Our families can get messy. It doesn't matter how cute that family looks on Instagram. That's a highlight reel. But you go to family behind the door, you see just how messy families can be. Some of you got really clean kitchens and living rooms, but your bedroom is a wreck. Because that's where people come over. People show up in the living room, so that's what you keep clean. I get it, I get it, I get it. But thankfully, God can use messy families. By the way, Jesus came from a messy family. Mom became pregnant before the wedding. That's always awkward. In a culture where there was officially a death sentence for that. It wasn't used often, but it was on the record. Mary could have been killed for being pregnant before marriage. So mom and dad were quickly married before the announced wedding date. Things didn't seem right with Joseph's side of the family, either down in Bethlehem. Perhaps there was a difficult family circumstance with Joseph's side of the family. This is now the, the dad of Jesus, not the Joseph we're talking about. And when Jesus is born, he's just a child. They had to escape as refugees down to Egypt. If you remember King Herod wanting to murder the kids. So Jesus was a refugee. When Jesus made his way back to Nazareth, to live in his childhood. And Nazareth was the place where everyone knew about the strange pregnancy and the shotgun wedding. So he's got that hanging over his head. Jesus' own brothers didn't believe that he was the savior of the world. Jesus' mom was a bit pushy and manipulative. Maybe, we think. I mean, he was at 30 years old, told by mom, 
to go provide wine. Like, come on, mom, let the man grow up. You know, moms, moms have a hard time letting their men be men. I get it. But then Jesus finds himself on the cross. And he doesn't give his mom to his brothers. He asks one of his friends, a disciple, to care for his mom. In the book of John, Jesus says that his church family is closer to him than his real family. That's what he says. Jesus had a messy family. God responds to less than perfect people. Being a messy family does not disqualify you from the grace of God, from the purpose of God, the plans of God, or the goodness of God. Romans 8, 28 tells us that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So no matter what struggles your family is currently going through, trust that God's going to turn it around. Trust that God can use your messiness in this moment. I mean, if Joseph, not the father of Jesus, Joseph in the Old Testament, if he wasn't kind of messed up and living in a messy family and he wasn't a little bit weird and a little bit, you know, into himself, a little self-absorbed Joseph, then his brothers would have never sold him as a slave. And if Joseph's brothers never sold him as a slave, Joseph would have never gone to Egypt. And if Joseph had never gone to Egypt, he would have never been sold to Potiphar. And if he had never been sold to Potiphar, he would have never been accused by Potiphar's wife of rape. And if he had never been accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, he would have never gone to prison. If he had never gone to prison, he would have never met the baker and the butler. If he had never met the baker and the butler, he would have never interpreted their dreams. If he had not interpreted the baker and the butler's dreams, he would not have been sent to Potiphar to interpret Potiphar's dreams. If he had not interpreted Potiphar's dreams, he would have never been set as the ruler of the nation that prepared for a seven-year famine. And if Joseph never prepared for the seven-year famine then his family back in Canaan would have died. And if his family back in Canaan would have died, then the Messiah could not have come through the lineage that he did. I can trust God with my story. Mm, I can trust him. Mm, I can, even, even when, even if, even though, I can trust him. Even when I failed, even when I've made a mistake, even when I've gone beyond, I can trust him. The grace of God is sufficient enough to bring us back into the fold. I can trust him with my story. And I want you to think about this this week. What part of your story is most difficult to trust God? Is it your past, your present, or your future? Some of you have lived a very traumatic past, haven't been able to move beyond forgiveness and resentment because you can't trust that God was in the past. Can we trust God to be in the past, to bring healing to our past? Some of us can't trust God with our present. Or maybe that's our area of struggle. That's personally mine. I trust God with my past all day long. I've done a lot of stupid things and God has always been there for me. He has proven himself to me over and over and over. I have stories that God never intended for me to have, but God was always faithful. I can trust him in the past. You know what I have trouble doing? Trust him in the present. Trusting him that I'm enough right now. 
trusting him that I'm making a difference right now, trusting him that that I'm hearing his voice right now, that I'm making the right decisions right now. The future, no problem. He's proved himself to the past. The future, I look at my wife all the time, and we both say to each other, we could be penniless and living in a tent, and as long as we got each other and the Lord, we're going to be okay. We trust him with the future no matter what. I, I trust him 100% with the future, but I sure struggle with today. What do you struggle with? Do you struggle with the past? Do you struggle with the present? Or do you struggle with the future? The good news is, God can be trusted with your story, the past, present, and future. Please stand. your eyes this morning. Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for Romans 3.23 that says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no need for us to pretend to be perfect today. You receive us just as we are. God, though you receive us just as we are, there's no reason to pretend that obedience isn't valuable to you. It is through obedience that favor flows. So God, if our families are messy today because of disobedience, I ask that you would give us a heart that's turned towards you. That you would lead us through paths of righteousness. That you would lead us through reconciliation. Lead us to places of forgiveness. Lead us to areas where we can trust you with our children. Where we can trust you with our marriage, with you, with our image, with our finances. God, I thank you. I thank you in this moment that you are so kind to us. I thank you, God, that you're bringing freedom to our homes throughout this series. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen, amen, amen. Church, can we just celebrate Jesus this morning, this afternoon? Would you like any dessert with that? Dessert, Olive Garden? Well, listen, Wednesday night, 6 p.m., I will see you at Awaken. We're so glad that you came to church in the room and online. We didn't forget about you either. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.